welcome to episode 139 of Texting, hosted by me and him. <laughs> Hello, Jason. I guess I'm him. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Um, feeling, uh, feeling a lot more together in my mind this week. Great, great. Well, I, you know, uh, you lost your father is quite a, quite a thing to uh, process, so um, I'm glad to hear you're feeling a little better. It was really nice to get all the, um, the, the good wishes um, on the blog, um, all the comments, and also quite a few through Google Plus and quite a few through um, Twitter. So thank you, everyone, who, who sent that. That was really appreciated. Yeah, that's really nice. So, um, so you, are you uh, getting more sleep these days? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am getting more sleep. Um, but this, uh, this contract I'm working on is pretty much stopping everything else. For example, I don't feel it's the right time to be on my 600 a day calorie diet in this high stress 12 to 16 hour work situation when I'm not even at home. I'm kind of staying in a hotel. So I yeah. think I will get back into that when I get back to Los Angeles. It's, it's always really tough to, uh, to eat well and take care of yourself when you're traveling and staying in hotels because you just, it's, you're usually eating convenience food mm-hmm. and yeah. convenience food is generally you know, bad for you, uh, hotel food or diner food or fast food or restaurant food. So, yeah. Um, so you, you stayed on the diet for how long? What? Three, four I was days? Five, no, five days. And it was good. It was like, I was definitely beginning to feel better, but then the problem is, is I just like, like you say, when you're kind of around restaurants or whatever, like when you walk into a restaurant, it, I don't know why, but it's like a hundred times more delicious smelling <laughs> when, you, when you've only had 600 calories a day for oh, five yeah. days well, you like know, your mouth is like drooling yeah when you're hungry that's all you think about is food and, you, yeah. and then you just get tempted by everything it's like when you're tired all you can think about is sleeping you know um paul, paul, have you heard of um have you heard of paul mckenna no who's that paul, paul mckenna is a, an english hypnotist um but also uh an nlp um you, you know what nlp is right does that stand for again? Uh, Neuro linguistic programming, I think. Right. And so basically, it's sort of like re reprogramming your brain, thinking of your brain as a computer and reprogramming it with different suggestions and stuff. So one of the things that he's he has this this uh, plan called "I Can Make You Thin," right? And the, the pre- <laughs> that's like Ramit. Uh, I I can teach you to to be rich or something. Yeah, yeah. Was it, is, that, <laughs> is, that, is that the blog? Was it I can teach you how to be rich I think it's like, yeah, I, well, no, I think it's just I can make you rich.com, I think. No, it's I can but, teach you something, but it's close. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he has, a, he has a book and a website. He spoke at the MicroConf, so that's funny. Sounds sort of similar. So, so I heard, I mean, I heard about this, I don't know, quite a few years ago, but I've recently been thinking about it and thinking that his strategy is probably the thing that I should do. Um, and basically what it is, is it's like forgetting about food and just kind of focusing on the psychology of it. And they, it, there's just like four basic rules. Can't exactly remember what they are, but it's something like only eat when you're hungry, eat consciously. So basically while you're eating, you know, acknowledge that you're eating because most people eat and they don't actually think about the food they're eating. They just kind of shovel it down. That's oh, how they right. Especially if you're play. watching TV or something. Yeah. Yeah. So only, only kind of consciously eat after you're hungry. And then when you feel full, stop eating. And that Probably is basically when you feel, feel uh, satiated, right? Yeah, Not... satisfied. That's right, satisfied. And and that is basically it. That's <laughs> that's his plan. Um, but uh, and and I've I mean I've seen that it's worked for I think you know millions of people now in the UK. So that's something that I may consider having another look at again. It's just like mentally agreeing to yourself. Look, I really am going to do this. I really am going to look after myself now. You know. Right. Well, 600 calories a day is hard. And, and well, the plan was supposed to last, what, 
eight weeks. Yeah. But it's supposed to be a cure for diabetes. Oh my God, why can't I do it? What's wrong with me? Well, it's hard. Dieting is hard. I am um, my new man plan. Yeah, go which on. Which is my plan to lose. Part one of the plan is to uh, <laughs> lose 20 pounds, get down to 180. Yeah. By, uh, I think I'm going to make it by my birthday, which is the end of September. That's the outside goal. Maybe sooner if I can get there. Mm-hmm. Is So I'm not really dieting. I just, I'm just trying not to overeat. Yeah. And my, my plan has mostly to do with the, just exercising. And what I generally do, I mean, I go to the gym regularly anyway, but I've noticed a, a difference from when you just go to just kind of, kind of going through the motions as opposed to really trying to hit some specific goal, that there's a huge difference there. So, I, you know, two weeks ago when, I, when, I, when the scale almost crossed a 200-pound mark <laughs> and, I, and the, the alarm bell started going off, I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure I do at least 500 calories a day on the elliptical and lift weights for half an hour. And I've lost, and it's like, already I can tell a huge difference. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm averaging almost... I'm closing in like an hour a day on the elliptical and I'm just drenched and I've lost uh, four pounds and maybe three quarters of an inch off my waist. What what do you do when you like, you just listen to podcasts, is it? Yeah. 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 Just listen to podcasts. And usually, you know, you watch, there's usually TV shows like, you know, news or, or or whatever on, um, but you can't hear them. You read the subtitles, but I'm usually listening to a podcast. So it's a, it's a, I'm actually thinking what I might do is get some audiobooks. Because those really get you in to the zone. Uh, I heard that that we that all humans and all animals have a kind of predetermined number of heartbeats in their life, right? So, like a fly will have a similar number of heartbeats to an elephant and and a human. They will all have a similar number of heartbeats, and it's the the speed that's the difference, right? So, there's I've also so I'm heard, just wasting my life away by well, getting in shape. Well, yeah, yeah, because I've also heard right that basically, if you do get in shape, sometimes if you're just a couch potato, you could potentially live a longer life because you have less. Heartbeat. I think that's total and utter bullshit. <laughs> and I don't know where you read that, <laughs> but I think if you did any type of reasonable statistical analysis of people who took care of themselves by exercising, people who were fat and sat around and didn't do anything, the people who exercised <laughs> lived vastly longer, healthier lives. But hey, you know what? Believe whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, so hey, I, so I have a, I have a um a couple of things on. I wanted to mention, kind of related to that. So okay, um, you know, one thing I want to say is like, is trying to lose six, trying to only live off six hundred calories a day is hard. So you're going to have to really get yourself sort of psyched up and 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 sort of organized to do that. Um, I I don't know if I could do it to be honest. Mm. That's one of the reasons why I exercise because I have a hard time dieting. Yeah, but or even restricting myself, but uh, restricting my diet. But I don't. I can much more easily just say, all right, I'm just going to strap myself to the elliptical, the treadmill for an hour, an hour and a half. I mean, mm. it's not fun, but I can do it. But that's crazy. The one thing that's interesting about exercising compared to sort of in comparison to um, dieting is that uh, you get momentum, and you really start feeling. I think you start feeling momentum more because the exercising becomes easier. But I'm not sure dieting gets any easier. I think it's still painful. Like three weeks to three months in as it is early on. So uh-huh. I'll, I'll tell you what broke me off the, um, off the, off the 600 calorie day thing. I decided at your suggestion to go out to the cinema, you said, come on, you're out, go and have some fun. You're out. Well, you I were sitting time. around the hotel yeah. and like unhappy okay. and depressed. And right. Like, so I went out and I found, I, I Googled cinema. I went to a cinema and I went in and lo and behold, when I sat down and it, this, this was an eight screen cinema. Okay. 
When I sat down, guess what? It was a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cinema restaurant. In fact, a cinema pub. And I'm like, hold on a second. I thought I, I came here to see Transformers in 3D, which I, it was. It was a full, fully blown cinema screen. But the whole place was laid out like a restaurant. Everyone had tables. Everyone had chairs. And it was just like, what the hell? And it just... I was trying to watch this movie, and and every like ten seconds, the waitress would carry past this amazing plate of fish and chips that was wafted past my nose. So then I was like, "Oh my god, I just can't bear this anymore." So that was when I decided to break it. Yeah, it, the world seems sometimes to conspire against your best laid plans. Have well, you ever heard of a cinema pub? I mean, yeah, what, yeah, it, it's, a, the, it's a pub. It's a cinema. Well, That's just awesome. They have a lot of those. Uh, I, I, there's at least a couple where we live where. You know, you can order food and and uh, and alcohol and stuff. Um, so I don't know they're they're new. They're obviously more upscale and expensive, but it's a it's sort of a new trend. There's the gold class cinemas that do that. Um, so that actually brings up a, a thing I wanted to ask you about. You were talking about uh, moving to Ireland. Well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, not not necessarily moving, but um, I don't know. I, it's it's kind of up in the air. So it's not a decision. It's more like we're going to go for a couple of months and then think about it. So actually, this is a this is something that I was thinking about, but actually, Guyon brought it up with me when we were talking the other day. He's like, he's like, I'm not sure that's such a good idea for Justin for this one primary reason, which is that I guess the the one of the major pastimes in in Ireland is drinking, right? Hanging out, yeah, in the pub. that would definitely be true. Which is your with your celiac disease and diabetes, you're not supposed to be drinking alcohol anymore. Probably that's probably not true. Probably yes. it's you're not supposed to, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, All right. and one thing it's true is that you're talking about, it's about context and it's about your, uh, the influences around you. So if you go, if you're on a diet and you go in a restaurant, you're going to eat. Yeah. If you're not supposed to be drinking alcohol and you go to a country where all everybody does to socialize is drink and you're going there primarily to hang out with friends and socialize, you're just going to drink a lot, which is ultimately going to make you sicker. So I'm wondering if that's. Well, actually, to be honest, it's like I said, idea. I mean, it kind of is up in the air and we have been thinking that maybe what we're going to do. Is go because also it's sort of to do with selling my house in the UK, right? So, but really, spring is probably the better time to do that. So, I think what we're going to do now, the latest plan, as it's seen at this moment, which it changes every moment anyway. The latest plan is we're going to go to Ireland. We're going to basically spend a couple of months there, and then in the new year, we're going to come back to LA and stay here till the spring, and then maybe move back over to the UK to sell the house. Wow, for, okay. for some time, and then when the house is sold, move back to. Uh, the USA. And where in the USA? Just we'll just keep our same apartment. Oh, move we're, back to uh Yeah, we'll just we'll just keep our same apartment the whole time, yeah. At one point you were talking about moving to Savannah, Georgia? Yeah, that's that's the thing about me and Georgie, like we we don't we just we're very kind of flux about things. Like we don't know. <laughs> it's right, changing it's, your mind. It's, it, yeah, it's really based contingent on when and if she leaves her job, then we'll have some ability to make some decisions. I see. Okay. It's like we're talking about it, you know, like there's the, the world is our oyster. There's lots of different possibilities. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, I'd love to go on holiday to somewhere like Spain for a month. You know, there's a million different things I'd love to do. But uh, hey, you know, as well. Right. Well, you, you could do the tour of the crumbling economies, Greece, Portugal, Spain, Ireland and Italy. Yeah, you, the euro is not doing well right now. All five of those countries are like on verge of default. They're, 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 and they it's all, good. They're all going to have to be bailed out by uh, some of the larger, um, wealthier countries like Germany. It's good because it, like uh, American money goes far in those countries right now. 
Yeah, and it may go even farther. But I, I'm not. I'm not sure how that's going to affect everything. Uh, interest rates will rise, and that'll hurt the economy and economies and stuff. So that's another issue of going to Ireland too. Is if you move back there, the economy not, might not be that great. If you're if you're going back there to live, well, it's an, it's also a pain because if you think about it, right, all the money that I earn is is the U.S. dollar, which right. then has to convert to the euro, and it basically you know you you lose thirty percent right there. Why do you lose thirty percent? Well, because uh, like a euro when you're in Ireland is sort of like a dollar when you're in America, but one dollar is like seventy cents. One one dollar one euro costs one dollar thirty or something like that. Oh, I see. So right, so your your standard of living is going to be lower over there. Yeah, obviously. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, we talked it through, and we were like, maybe not, maybe not. not. So maybe in a couple years. <laughs> yeah, three years. <laughs> So, um, yeah, but so the, 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 the other thing is, Jason, is that, you know, when, when any foo is like really making it and I'm thinking that we should probably set up an office in Pasadena. Okay. Don't jinx it. In which case, <laughs> in which case I should stay here. Right. Right. Well, don't, don't jinx it. Don't start talking about what it succeeds. That's, that's the, that's like the jinx, right? You start talking about like, Oh, when we make a million dollars, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> It's like, let's just try and make $100. Okay. Well, if we can make $100, we'll be doing well. If we can make 100 we can make 1000 and then, then maybe we're off to the races. All right. So what you got? You said you got some topics this, for this week, right? Sure. Did you, um, did you look at the Spotify intro? I did. You, 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 you sent me the link, so they had kind of cool video. Yeah, so Spotify, just moving over into the U.S., Spotify is basically a place where you can eat all you can, all you, um, can of music, of any music. Um, basically stream it looks like a great service but more than anything their intro video is just freaking awesome it's just so good that that is something that i would like for any food something like that yeah i imagine it costs a fair chunk of change to get something like that made though so you'd spend that on a logo but you wouldn't spend it on an intro video oh yeah absolutely i mean i wouldn't spend five thousand on a logo now but i wouldn't i sure as i wouldn't spend it on a on an intro video i mean i'm not even sure that would have that much of a conver- of a conversion. It's not like, well, first of all, Spotify people know about Spotify already, um, mm-hmm. so they they're, they're sort of reinforcing the excitement over their of their brand. Some brand new company comes out and comes out with some cute little video that doesn't really explain the service. It just says, "Hey, we're cool." I'm not <laughs> sure that's really going to do anything. But we're trying to create the establish an entire you know brand the, the identity and UI and everything. So I think it's worth spending a little bit of money on that. Not a ton. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of my personal cash on it or any more than I have to, for sure. So, so something you've said over the last few shows is how you want to separate the function of the logo designer and the website designer. Yes. And I am not convinced that that's the best strategy, especially after seeing Clout and the design of the Clout website, which I think is very, very nice. And I know that the, the guy who did the logo is the same guy who did the website, and it seems so integrated. And I kind of wonder... Is that why it's so good? Because it was the same guy, you know, who built this completely integrated experience. If we had a separate logo designer and a separate website designer, wouldn't we kind of end up with something that was a little bit disparate? No, <laughs> that's just silly. If you right. had them, if you had them design in parallel, say, all right, you do the logo and you do, and we want it to kind of look like this, and you do the UI design, we want it to kind of look like that, and then you kind of add them together, they're going to match. But if you have the logo designed first. Then you can go to a, a web UI designer and say, okay, here's our logo. This is our brand or whatever. Uh, 
this is how we kind of want the site to look, it's going to look perfectly integrated. Now, it may just happen that the guy who designed the Clout logo and the Clout UI, um, he's multi-talented. He's a, lo- he's a competent or talented logo designer and also a good UI designer. But often that's not the case. Often it's you have these web designers um, or UI designers who have done some logos. But having had done some logos does not mean you're a great logo designer um, and vice versa. So I think you're, you're doing a risk. Now, if you can get two in one, they're the same guy or same girl, whatever, then great. But I think that's... Um, you know, not, it's not, a tall order. not often the case. It's not, it's not often the case. If you get can one both, it's great. But it's like if you can get a, a back-end developer and a front-end developer and they're equally talented and experienced at both, then fantastic. It probably makes things a little easier, but uh, that's not often the case. But it's less important for a logo and UI, UI designer because there's not this constant back-and-forth communication because they're kind of being developed in parallel. One comes before the other. All right. Well, talking about mocking up any foo, there is a oh, lot Oh, by more. the way, I got an email back from that designer. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, so awesome. You, what, what do you say? So, Because um, you looked at the cloud API uh, UI and, and, and said you liked it. And, and so yeah. um, I found who the designer was. I just said, right, I typed in the Google who designed the cloud UI and, uh, and it came up to an, on a Quora answer and someone asked the same thing. And then I mm-hmm. found the guy's website and sent him an email. And he said he'd been out of town for a week and uh, said he could talk at the end of the week when he got caught up. Oh, so, awesome. Okay, that's great. So that's like this fifth or sixth designer i've sort of established contact with that looks good that we okay, can talk great. to well talk, talking about mocking up any food um there's a lot more to it than we thought there is a lot more to it it's like uh wow yeah um I, it is I, I think information architecture is is challenging um to get it done to do it right and that's what the big struggle is is trying to figure out what information we need and where it needs to be in relation to everything else. So that you're not like three levels deep and tabs within tabs within tabs or, or that you're trying to find how to edit your profile and you can't figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Great. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, we're, we're like, you know, we've got 40 mock-ups so far <laughs> and we're still mock-ups? not finished. Yeah. We're still not finished. Even we've already oh got God. 40. Um, yeah, and and, my- and it, it, it is a simple concept. I know it's a simple concept. And, and when listeners the kind of are thinking about any food, okay, it's just a service that matches up the, you know, the, the provider and the client. It is simple, but even so to make it actually usable, it, it, there's intricacies in the journeys and that's what we've been going through. And that's the difficulty. There's a lot. Well, we're mocking up emails. Yeah. And a lot of notification emails and confirmation emails that go back and forth. That there's probably what ten of those at least, maybe more. Um, I, I I was thinking that the stuff that we're doing, it's like people won't actually even notice that that stuff exists and that that stuff's there. But it's very very kind of core functional to the experience. And there's another. I've got another example of it. Like you know when you use like an iPod, and you kind of scroll down the iPod, and as you scroll, it goes faster. There's like this hidden function that automatically scrolls through the songs and you can really whip through them really fast. And that function is such an integral experience of scrolling through the songs, but you just totally don't notice it. Does, does that similarly make any sense? Yeah. I, I, well, it's, it's like background functional stuff. I think any service uh, or any piece of software that's going to do anything or most anything useful is going to have some depth to it, but you want to structure the information or at least the display of information in such a way that they're looking at it only what they need to look at at any given point in time. 
it's like when you open like Photoshop and you're like, I, I don't even know where the hell I'm supposed to start, right? Right, yeah. It's like all these menus and all this. It's just kind of hard to figure out where to even get any traction. Um, but, you know, Apple and, 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 you know, does a good job with this and other companies, you know, do a good job where if, if you went through and you looked at every single page and everything that can be, every dial that can be turned and knob, and knob that can be twisted and setting that can be changed, there's a lot of stuff and there are a lot of pages. But most people would only use like 5% of those and would never even need to get into the other stuff. Now, hopefully with, with ours, I mean, we're not building uh, a lot of unnecessary complexity. We're only trying to solve the core problem. In fact, we yeah. keep mixing all of the like peripheral potential um, features, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's, I mean, a, a, a web application is not like five pages, <laughs> No, <laughs> it's just not. I mean, it's it's often, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess in our case, it looks like it's going to be what we're 50. We're 50 now, 40. We're, we're at 40 now. And, and that includes you got rid of the old ones, the ones that we kind of yeah, I got rid of all the old ones. Yeah, the 40 solid ones. And I'm guessing there's going to be somewhere like. I mean, if, if let's 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 if you include like terms of service and privacy policy and forgot your password and those kind of pages. Yeah. We could be up at 60. Yeah. 65, think, maybe 70 pages. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's interesting. And, um, and a lot of them are, are dealing with just the back and forth structured communication process that could be done by email, but that if it is done by email, there's so much open to miscommunication, misinterpretation that it's just bound to go wrong. So that's why you need a guided process. Right. The, the way you make interactions uh, efficient is you make them structured. Yeah. When most things that are structured can probably be accomplished in an unstructured way through emails and phone calls and conversations, but it's, it's just inefficient. It's sort of like, think of trading uh, uh, st uh, stocks, right, for publicly traded companies. Y you could just go on exchange and buy and sell them. Now, if all these stocks were private and you're trying to buy do you, you actually want to buy or sell shares in a private company? You have yeah. to get an attorney and drop contracts, and it takes weeks, if not months, to... Yeah, it's weird, but it seems exactly. like such a simple function. Right, well, yeah, but if you standardize everything and you structure everything, then buying and selling you know, uh, stocks in a, a, a Google, a share of Google stock is nothing, right? Because it's been standardized, and I think I that's, wish I'd bought them at the time when they were released. I had the opportunity, and I just... <laughs> I didn't. Exactly. Well, speaking of that, I was listening to NPR Planet Money yesterday while yes. I was suffering on the elliptical. And they were talking about the, the value of Bitcoin. I think when it was first came out, it was like one penny. And then it was like you know, a few bucks. And now it's like $23 for a Bitcoin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so do you think Bitcoin's really going to go the distance? I don't know. I I don't know about Bitcoin. I I, I it's it's going to be interesting. I think what's going to happen is, um, when it comes up on the radar enough of Congress and politics and things like that, eventually the uh, the government politicians are going to stamp it out. They're going to they're not going to want a competing currency, um, in any way. They're they're going to they'll probably frame it in such a way that uh you know it's only used for anonymous activity that's trying to hide illegal activity. How can and, they stamp it out? I mean, that would be illegal, wouldn't it? There's, I, I think there's a, um, according to the, the NPR Money podcast, they interviewed this uh, economist, and he said that 
there was sort of this old law. It's like a hundred year old law called the Stamp Act, which uh, says that there cannot be any competing currency that challenges the uh, the, the dollar. Well, that's not a problem. Uh, They'll just move it offshore. They'll move it to you know to another country. So then it won't well, be in, the, in America. Uh, governments governments can shut stuff stuff down if they want to, right? They just start putting people in jail. It's pretty easy once they decide something's illegal. Then they then the U.S. can strong arm. I mean, they do we do it constantly. We constantly strong arm other countries into like our I you know our IP type of law, intellectual property laws, or or anything else. Do you mean like the governments have been so successful in shutting down Pirate Bay? Well, that's not as big of a deal, but I, I think something like a currency, like uh, that, that really caught, got going. Um, I think that uh, they all they would have to do, if if all of a sudden, let, let's say that it it just took off over the next five years and and started to make some real inroads, and 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 let's say the dollar is struggling, the euro is struggling because of all of this this debt problems, which is probably likely. And Bitcoin is not losing value, and so people start moving money into Bitcoin, and it, it creates some kind of questions about the dollar. Then you're going to have the, the uh, U.S. government's going to want to put a stop to that, and the U.S. And, and understanding that it's more of a global currency than a national currency, they're going to go and have these G8 meetings, and they're going to have these backdoor uh, conversations with uh, the officials at the in, in Europe and everywhere else, and. I don't know. That's interesting. I like, I like the idea of Bitcoin. I'm just yeah. Sort of, I wonder if we should get some kind of uh, financial expert on to talk about it at some stage. Sure, it'd be cool. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is an interesting, interesting topic. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's just jump back to Anyfu for a minute. Yeah, sure. What, what are you? Uh, so, what are you thinking about Anyfu now? What's the? Uh, what are your thoughts? We've been working on it. What? Almost. I think we worked on it every night except for last night, which was Friday night. Yeah. Uh, like- my thoughts are I'm I'm very excited about it. I'm I'm excited because I think we've got um the perfect market fit in our audience as well, right? So it's we've got the right product, we've got the right audience. Um, what do you sum it, let's sum it up for any new listeners who who might have just jumped on recently and and want to know what the hell we're talking about. Okay, um I will have a go and then you just jump in when I get it wrong. So basically the idea is is that you can go to this site if you have a problem, a technical problem, um, no matter how hardcore that technical problem is, you know, maybe it's some kind of PHP optimization problem or MySQL optimization problem, and you can go to this site and there are high quality experts on this site. And you've you've really put me on the spot here because I haven't you, normally I like to rehearse my elevator pitches, right? Okay, so, I'll, I'll so, jump in. I'll jump in then. Okay. Okay, so you, you have um if you need help with a technical issue, and we're, we're starting with technical, but we could go into areas that are closely related, startup business issues, possibly. Yeah. Things like that. But we're going to restrict ourselves, at least initially, to uh, programming and maybe even some systems administration stuff. So if, if, if you need some help, you're stuck on a problem, or you need to get up to speed on something quickly, or you'd like to have a mentor, let's say that you're trying to get up to speed on um, some new language or framework or something, or your company is thinking about you know, uh, solving a problem using Node.js, let's say, and you're like, well, what are the trade-offs, and how do we get started, and what, what libraries should we use, and what tools should we use, and how do we debug this stuff? Instead of having your team uh, members spend a lot of their time just trolling through, or you know, or not trolling, but uh, searching through uh, internet forums and on Stack Overflow and everywhere else, trying to find answers to things and get up to speed. It's it'd be great to have someone 
you could have them made for an hour, maybe five hours, or maybe a couple hours over a few different days, walk you through that stuff. Someone who really knew their stuff. Someone who was yeah. a real expert in the field. But, but more to the point, it would be great to have someone by the end of the day, you know, or within the yeah. next couple of days, just-in-time expertise. Well, I, I, th- I, think, I think it could be just-in-time. I think it could be we need someone today or tomorrow. But I think it could also be we need someone next week you know, or the week after. I think you can schedule it a couple weeks in, ahead, in advance. I think, it, I think you're going to find use cases for both. Yeah. Um, and I think it could be for mentoring. It could be code review. It could be for problem solving. It could be advice and, on, uh, on, uh, on new technologies or, or, or whatever. And I think if you know, if you can come to a website where there are people who are legit, legitimate, established experts, um, in these fields and in, in, in the field that you're uh, that you need help in, then it would be incredibly valuable. And the, the service we're going to add is not just the, the, that of discovery, but of like helping the consummate the transaction. So we we sort of make it very easy to sort of set up a a session, um, pay them through the service. Um, so all that will happen. Get reviews review the uh, um, the experts, all that stuff. So everything will happen really sort of seamlessly. But a big a big part of it is that the the experts who are on there, it, with regarding to pricing, it's not a race to the bottom like Odesk or, or Guru.com. So you won't get any $2 an hour or kind of guys. Like the, the, the minimum price point is going to be $100 an hour for anyone on there. Yeah, and I think a lot of, I think because once you're willing to spend 100 you're willing to spend 150 or 200 or more, 500 I mean, if it was the absolute expert the guy who wrote the library yeah. let's say your 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 uh, problem is that your company has started using mongodb and let's say that it's something is cracking you're having some major performance problem and it's really hurting your company and nobody really has an answer for it what do we get the guy the guy who actually wrote the core module yeah on the phone with you for a couple hours mm-hmm. you know, and share, screen sharing with you that would be worth a lot of money that'd be worth 500 dollars an hour i'm sure if you could get yeah. him on like tomorrow for three hours Solve your problem. The whole thing costs you fifteen hundred bucks. Done. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about start, like if we're talking about doing another vertical of startup business stuff, I mean, then once again, the five hundred dollar an hour price points for talking to someone who really knows their stuff about marketing. I don't know Patrick McKenzie or something like that. I mean, oh I yeah, Patrick, Patrick McKenzie probably charges maybe a thousand bucks an hour. But yeah. if someone like that comes on and they can just sort of transform your the growth of your business because your SEO is all jacked up and they can just fix it in a few hours. Um, why wouldn't you pay them to do that? So, so that's Anyfu. That's it. That's Anyfu. Oh, and if you're if go to anyfu.com and leave your email address if you're interested in uh, getting an invite once we're ready to go. The beautiful uh, landing page was designed by yours truly. <laughs> nice. I have like a green <laughs> a green text for Anyfu, and that's pretty much it. All right. So, um, Plugio. Yes, Plugio, Plugio, the, the, the engine that could, the little engine that could. Maybe, the engine that maybe could. Okay, so a couple of things about that. So I had this crazy, uh, that I made reference to last show, this Japanese text bug. So basically what was happening was um, I had one Japanese customer sign up and they were doing certain, certain tweets that were, I don't know, 10, 10 or 20 characters long, no problem. They were doing them in Japanese. They went through, that was no problem. They were doing other tweets that were the exact same length that were, were breaking the system. And I was trying to work out what the hell is going on. And if I did different combinations of these characters, it would, it would post and other combinations and it wouldn't post and I couldn't work it out. And then finally, what I found out was that 
it's the whole multibyte thing. So what I'd done is I, I had set the table to be 140 characters in length for tweets, right? Because the tweet is allowed to be 140 characters. I'd set the, um, the tweet text field, right? But what happens is a Japanese multibyte character can be anywhere between two and four bytes. So it literally just depended on which characters were in there that essentially took up that number of bytes out of the 140 that were available. Right. And so all I had to do was make the, make the text field uh, and turn it into a text object and it fixed it. But it, it's, it's kind of funny how I had predeterminately thought, oh, this is about the character, you know, rather than taking a stand back and thinking this is about something just a larger core issue. It was like a, what, a, a, a Varchar 255 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was like, it was a Varchar 140, right? Because oh, obviously, so you're just thinking of single byte. Yeah. Single byte I, I was, right? yeah, I was thinking of single byte characters, but the, but the, the confusing thing was, was that I, I could put a sequence of 40 Japanese characters in and it would go through fine. And then I could put another sequence of 40 Japanese characters and it wouldn't. And what I didn't realize was that the Japanese characters can either be four bytes or two bytes. So in some of the sequences... Oh, wait, I, four bytes or two bytes? Oh, because yeah. you're using... When you say Varchar 140, those are two-byte characters. Those are... I, I do believe they're one-byte characters. Are they? So if, they? if they were doing 140 of two-byte, then those would have never worked. Or were right, they just it, much shorter than 140 characters? Well, no, no, because what, what I was doing was I was just doing sh- very small, t- small tweets. So I had maybe 60 Japanese characters, right? So okay. they so they were kind of working. If I had sixty in there or twenty, I can't remember the specific number, but so I would have like thirty or whatever in there. I'd post it, the tweet would go through. And then I'd use thirty different Japanese characters and it wouldn't go through. And it was because some of those characters had extra bytes in them. You see what I'm saying? So they yeah. kind of it so you couldn't tell that they had extra bytes by looking at them, but technically they did. And that, and that was you, how they You haven't mastered play. your kanji? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, so, so then I, I kind of suspected that it might be a space issue. So then I moved it from like 140 to 255. But the issue still kept on happening. And I was like, what the hell? And then finally changed it to a text. And it was just worked, you know, 100% of the time. Because so, is by SQL, if, you're, if, if, a, uh, if it's Varchar is over 255, it just might as well be a text or something. I, I, right. I'm trying to remember reading that correctly. Is that... In terms well, of efficiency, I yeah, it, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, but, would you do a varchar ten twenty four, or would it, or would it just is it not really buying you anything? Would you might as well just say text? I guess it is buying you something because, well, you can actually do up to varchar sixty thousand now, something like that, with the latest version of MySQL. But it is buying you something because if one field has sixty thousand characters and the next field has two characters, you know, that's buying you something, isn't it? Well, okay, so it's not it's not a fixed char length; it's a varchar. Um, and well, I guess I'm I'm trying to think about this correctly. So varchar meaning that it's if it's a varchar 140, it's always taking 140 bytes. Um, I thought that was the whole point that it wasn't always taking 140. No, if it's fixture, I don't know. I you know I don't really know. Char 140 always takes. Oh, sorry, a char. A a char like a char like that's why it's called varchar. Right. Well, it can be variable length, but I didn't know if it was just because of padding or not. I, I you know, honestly, I never look. I, I've probably looked into this before and then forgot it. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. A few months of looking it up. Um, so a text object will will store the text in some. I don't even. I know. think a related file, like it doesn't store it within the record, like right, kind of like blobs and stuff like that. I think you know, but I'm just speculating. It's been so long since I've looked into this stuff that I can't remember. You know, you just kind of you know when you set up your MySQL tables or whatever, you, you end up just sort of on autopilot, right? Like, this is Varchard, timestamp, 
and blah. You know, it's like I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about what's the absolute most optimal column okay. type. And, Please uh, could a listener post onto the blog the difference between a varchar, a char, and a text? <laughs> and teach us <laughs> not, not in terms of just in terms of like efficiency does it buy you anything in terms of efficiency yeah i mean it probably does it probably it probably does otherwise you just make everything a text right right so with pluggy i'm having some real a real loss this month um so we're we're 16 days in and i'm down six percent uh, and i think that it you know it it's i don't know why what seems amazing to me and it's kind of ironic is that it's almost like the moment that I stepped on that stage at MicroConf and proclaimed how good I was at building a business that was, you know, three times the revenue that it used to be, from that second, it stopped going upwards. Exalt yourself and ye shall be humbled. Humble yourself and ye shall be exalted. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, I always feel that way too. It's like whenever I get cocky, I get slapped down. So it's like, I just got to shut up, keep my head down. Don't ever, it's, don't ever spike the football yeah touchdown just don't ever you know don't don't spike the ball just i mean maybe it's summer i don't know i mean like signups have gone down to i'm having now about 0.6 signups a day and it's never been that low you know you know what i think it has to do okay the i mentioned this last show i think it's fourth of july weekend i mean there's a lot of vacationing around that holiday a lot of out of town for a good period of time uh and whenever you're near holidays like that a couple days before and a few days after there's just sort of like the, the holiday you know people don't go on vacation just for like two or three days they'll go on vacation for a week or so and then there's sort of the recovery where they're getting back on their core responsibilities and things like plugio probably not always at the absolute core of what people are trying to do so i mean uh-huh. yeah i mean and i also think that maybe that doubled up with the fact that I'm on this contract and unable to put in any significant time. I mean, obviously a lot of mindshare has shifted away from Plugio since I've been down here. Well, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think when you're disengaged and you're not pushing on it, then uh, I, I guess they're probably all, of, it affects Plugio in more ways than you would think. Um, whether maybe your customer support isn't as good, maybe you're not thinking of, uh, new ways to bring in customers or to improve conversion or new features to add all things that probably fuel its growth. And I don't know, you tell me, I mean, let's see back in May and April when you were spending a little more time working on Plugio, were you spending a lot of time doing that kind of stuff? I guess I was. I mean, I was talking to more customers. I was, yeah, I was just, I was just more on the ball. I was uh, using Twitter and talking to people about it and I don't know. There was just a lot more going on, and and this whole month I just haven't been doing that. So I think that's another huge part of it. And there, yeah, I can't there do it go. because of because of being so focused on this contract. So yeah, okay. Anyway, that's enough about. I think, you, I think you. I think you answered the question. You yeah. know, you disengage, and things drop off. You get you push, put your you know, foot on the pedal, and and it starts to go forward. It it reminds me of like. Um, working out it's like there's no you, you'll talk to someone and be like oh you, you know you, you training hard They're like oh i'm maintaining and that usually means you're falling back slowly it's like there's no maintaining you're either going forward or you're going back yeah. and if you're not going forward you're probably going backwards you're probably losing ground and i think that's probably true with you know a, a startup yeah yeah no totally but you're gonna you're gonna get back and push at the end of the month though right oh uh, yeah as, uh, that's as soon as i get back i'm gonna be back on the ball that's the hope because how many hours a day are you working on your contract uh, like i said this this contract is usually being between 12 and 16 hours a day i mean seriously 16 hours a day 
mean, you're filling the, 16 hours a day or yeah, just yeah 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 on some days yeah i've been i have actually been that high because what's happening is the way the way that they've structured the project is it's going until the 22nd and basically they're saying look this product has to be out of the door on the 22nd otherwise everything's shut down we're not moving forward with it right. so and dur- during the during the period that i got here to the 22nd they created uh, three milestones of, of different parts of the product you know so for example if it was plugio like the the ability to kind of schedule tweets might be one of the milestones and then another ability may be to registration and all that kind of stuff so they've got these three very specific milestones of this product and they've said look at each stage if we don't meet those milestones we we you know we're going to strongly a question whether we're going to move forward with the product for the next milestones so right. that's what we've been doing and we've just basically had to do kind of two days beforehand of like 16 hour days to just make sure that it hits those milestones it's a very high pressure situation actually right well at least you're making uh, bank right yeah <laughs> except for the fact that you know my old my dad passed away and i had to then go to ireland for a week but uh, that that kind of didn't help things and that's probably brought in brings in more pressure and longer days for when i'm here so right right well you're almost but, done yeah right? almost done well, just me, just one more week left let me ask you this what time do you get in the morning what time do you leave at night usually i usually get in at nine um and i usually leave um uh i usually leave at nine but it's anywhere between nine and twelve wow well a lot of hours and then and then yeah and but what 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 i've been doing recently is to trying to get back for um trying to get back home for 10 10 30 so that we can work so i've been i've been in at nine yeah been in at nine left at nine and then I'm back at the hotel, plug in the computer, and there you are. And then we're working for another few hours till until twelve, and then I go to well, sleep. Well, we usually only work between two hour and a half and two hours. Right, right, yeah. I think right. Is that right? No, actually, sometimes I've been getting back as early as seven, which is ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's right. I, we're not really working much past midnight, so it's usually between an hour, an hour on the short end, and two hours. Yeah, about an hour and a half average, which is a lot on top of end at the to end your days with that. Um, and I tell you just, just so that I can find the time to do it. I'm, I am just been so, my day is so structured. I'm in just like blowing through the day, just during the work day. I'm just focused, knocking out work, get to the gym, cranking, you know, hard workout, get back, shower, couple of the kids for a minute. Then I'm on with you. It's just like, Oh man, it's exhausting. So hopefully we can get any foo up and on its feet for too long. Cause this is exhausting. So you're juggling five clients at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, the uh, the latest is a really cool one, though. It's it's sort of um, HTML uh, HTML five, meaning sort of uh, a lot of uh, diagramming kind of stuff, like uh, scaled vector graphics, SVG. Using Canva, SVG. Oh yeah, I'm working with SVG right oh. now too. That's yeah, funny. And, uh, yeah, and contract. Yeah, we'll talk into that in just a second. So, um, and. Uh, it's going to use a socket IO web sockets or something to communicate with a Node.js server. And, uh, so it's pretty cool. And it, it, it's all greenfield stuff. So it's not like I have to maintain somebody else's code base, which actually, luckily I don't ever really do that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It's, it's fun. And I, I like the guys I'm working with. So that's cool. And then of course I got Uber, which is a, which is a big one and, uh, yeah, three others. So it's a lot of stuff. The couple of the others are kind of small though, and they don't take up much of my time. So, so I'm working with a, a library uh, called SVG Edit. Have you heard of that? It's basically SVG like... SVG Edit. 
it's it's uh it's it's a group of guys building this on Google uh on Google Code, um, and basically it's like an open source whiteboarding software, uh, but it's it's more yeah. like a it's more like a, a like a web based graphics editing thing, SVG edit, and it's pretty hardcore, okay. but uh, it's cool because I've kind of encountered some you know some low level bugs and actually fixed them. <laughs> for really? the for the for the SVG whiteboarding software and send it back to them, so that's kind of cool. It's nice to do that. So I'm, I guess I'm a, a little bit uh, potentially a contributor to the product project, potentially. Yeah, you know, I've been uh, I've been looking through um, sort of last uh, last day or so. I've been kind of experimenting with a couple libraries that I'm going to use for the graphics end of this. Yeah, and it's really going to come down to using my own library, which I'm thinking of just out, uh, open sourcing because it's really small and tight, and it's cross platform and it works really well. Um, or Raphael, which I, I pointed you to. I think you did a little work with Raphael. Yeah, Raphael. Yeah, that looks that's nice. But uh, I may end up using mine because I, I have a, some code that's built on top of it that can help with this project and 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 save save a little time. But uh, I, I, along those lines, I was thinking, you know, because I have not ever open sourced any of my code, mm-hmm. and I have an hard drive full of projects and you know a half a dozen or more languages. A, a lot of these projects are. Like version point two, <laughs> but some of them are a little further along. And I was thinking, if I'm going to do, uh, if I'm going to use this graphics library that I have, that I should just clean it up a little bit, put a little documentation, and put it up on GitHub. Yeah, it'd be like my first open source project. Um, have you have you done? Have you created an uh, a, a GitHub? An, uh, I guess a public repo on GitHub before? No, I haven't. I've 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 have released open source software, but I haven't released anything on GitHub. Is Easy SQL is your big open source software That's project, it, yeah. which yeah. is used by WordPress and who else? I don't know. Wow, I I, don't, I haven't really been keeping track beyond that, but it's used by kind of hundreds of thousands already. Right, the King of England use it. Yep, King of England. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, the, my my one concern, of course, is that I don't want to. Um, I, I've heard I've heard horror stories when people open source software that all of a sudden they, they've spent a lot of time answering questions and facilitating stuff. And I don't really want to do that. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind putting my stuff up there with some documentation and a readme and some examples um, just to, just to make it so that it can kind of live its life. Cause when stuff just kind of sits in your hard drive, it can just die because there's no documentation for it. And you kind of forget yourself how to use it. But if you put it up there and you, and you, and you put some documentation there, it, it's sort of makes it real. Well, what happens is when people ask the question, you just answer that. You then put that into the documentation. And by the time, you know, by the time you've had 10 people ask you a question, then your documentation is usually pretty complete. Then you just respond with read the fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> read That's, the documentation. It's, it's in the fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With that read RTFM. Yeah. Read the FN manual. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, you know, because I've seen a number of these uh, stories pop up where people talk about, oh, you know, GitHub is your new resume. Right, and I think that's overstating it a bit, but there's a lot of truth to it. <laughs> um, I think if you're if you're starting out and you don't have um, a lot of uh, much of a network for referrals, uh, you don't have a name, and you need to make a name for yourself. One way to do that is by uh, releasing stuff publicly and putting it up on GitHub. But uh, I think it's also just probably just a generally a good idea to put your stuff up there. If assuming you're not going to commercial commercialize it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not proprietary to some client, then uh, it's probably a good idea if you can just sort of like doing that extra ten or twenty percent of work just to clean it up, write a readme, and just get it up there. 
And it forces well, you to kind of cross your T's and dot your I's. Do it. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do it. The other thing I think I'm gonna outsource for starters, and we've talked a little bit about this, is the uh, the ORM or the object relational mapper that um, we built for um, AppIgnite. Because um, it's kind of it can be sort of standalone, and I think it's really clean, really slick, and easy to use, and it's small. Um, right now, it's it's probably gonna end up being you know between a thousand and fifteen hundred lines of code. Mm-hmm. which is not much at all. Um, I was reading this funny um, a, a blog post was talking about doctrine, the Doctrine ORM and how the Doctrine guys were trying to get it included into Drupal. But the reason they decided against it is because Doctrine's code base was larger than the entire, than the entire Drupal core. <laughs> wow. So they were like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot. And I think let's sometimes... What you don't want is these ginormous libraries. You want something. You want these sort of tight, um, uh, tight libraries that do do what they're supposed to do and and don't weigh in at you know twenty megabytes. Well, that's why I built EasySQL because ADOB, whatever it is, is like this massive, humongous thing, you know. And it's like it, it gives you abstraction. Everything's abstracted into every single database and every single feature so for example you know get sys date time or whatever is abstracted but you kind of don't need that for 90 percent of the projects that you work on you know that full you know hundred thousand line worth of code base abstraction layer yeah you, if, if, if you just if you carefully limit your feature set then you can maybe reduce it down to like 10 percent of that code base yeah you say well i don't need to support firebird and oracle and uh, db2 <laughs> then you know it's all of a sudden so it is uh is easy sql does it support just my sql or does it no it's it? it's funny it does support all of the ones you just said but it's 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 just it's it's basic feature set is so small that it's easy like it, each each one you know for example the oracle version the mysql version the easy you know the um what is it, sql light version none of them are over a thousand lines of code and they do right. you know they do the whole thing yeah yeah, I think I think that happens when you sort of try to over abstract and you start trying to do too much. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's sort of like you want to follow the eighty twenty rule, which is like you get eighty percent of the payoff with twenty percent of the effort, or twenty percent of the code, or maybe you get ninety percent of the payoff with ten percent of the code. It's like when you try and get that extra bit, we want to abstract everything and we want to hide every potential implementation detail. Then you start just having to do backflips to make it all work, and you'd have this massive code base. Well, one of the justifications that people use for these big libraries is they say, well, because if we use this library, then we'll be able to move from Oracle to MySQL or from MySQL to Postgres or whatever. But the truth is, in my entire career, I've only ever seen that happen once. (laughs) Yeah, people don't. That's not real (laughs) common. Usually, whatever database you start with, you usually end with it. Yeah. If it's MySQL, it's MySQL. It's Postgres, it's Postgres. If it's SQL Server, it's SQL Server. It's just sort of what you use. Um, Maybe you'll end up offloading some part of it to a NoSQL type of database. Right. But, but, but in which case, that, that abstraction layer isn't going to do anything anyway. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think it's solving problems that aren't really problems. Yeah. They seem like they might be problems. Um, it's like, hey, we can create interfaces and we can create all these adapter classes. And so it's sort of like a solution looking for a problem. Hey, there's 15 different databases. What we'll do is we'll create one interface, 15 different adapters, and we'll do all this stuff and... 
you know, all these factory classes and do all this stuff because we can abstract all this stuff because I read Design Patterns and I think it was an awesome book. So I'm going to just really. (laughs) Did you 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 read that blog post about the singularity? I haven't. That was on my to-read list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Where it said that the singularity is not near. Yeah, the singularity is far. Is um, far. Okay. Yeah. Well, interesting. That's on boing 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 dot net, and I thought it was interesting um, because you know the whole Ray Kurzweil thing, talking about how exponential growth of knowledge is going to allow for us to download our brain within the next twenty twenty years, kind of thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> and what this then this so it's a, a neuroscientist who wrote this blog and basically said, look, you know, in, in reality. When it comes to electronics, we do have some kind of exponential growth, like electronics and technology is growing exponentially, but our knowledge about biology is not growing exp- exponentially, it's, it's growing linearly, and we're just kind of making small breakthroughs, and it, the speed of, of, of that isn't really changing. Um, so that was, that was kind of interesting. So he, he was saying, um, in reality, what we've discovered in gene analysis is very, very linear, Right. And it right. seems that our, our understanding of biological process remains on a stubbornly linear trajectory. And the other thing was he, this thing about nanobots in the brain. He was talking about how it was technically impossible because the, the, each little kind of brain cell or neuron, they're so tightly packed that you couldn't even get a nanobot in between them because there's like infinitely less space available. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's right. like the analogy he gives is like, imagine you had a car park full of cars and you met, you parked each car two inches apart. Could you, could you fit something that was the size of a car in between those cars? No, it wouldn't be possible. Uh, the idea of the singularities is cool. Where oh, do you want to, do you want to give a little definition for it? Can you, no, no, it no. You, I think you should do that because you, <laughs> you're much more familiar with it than I am. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's basically the a point where, the exponential growth in technology um, accelerates to such a degree uh, that I guess, I don't know what the actual definition would be, but things change so rapidly that our lives, our world uh, completely transform. Essentially. Mm -hmm. I think we reach immortality at that level or something like immortality. And I I don't know, you kind of merge with the machines. (laughs) uh, Was it like uh, Star Trek one verger? Remember that movie? No. <laughs> you don't remember Star Trek one? No. Where Voyager gets set off and it comes back and there's some alien, uh, not an alien presence, but some, um, I think the Voyager merges with some kind of like artificial intelligence of some kind. And I don't know, whatever. Uh, so I don't know if that's this, it basically the exponential rate of growth is everything just kind of comes together and just takes off. And there's a lot of questions about, well, is that good for humanity or is that bad? I mean, it is, is, are we are we going to merge with our machines? Are we going to be destroyed by the machines? Is everything going to be great? And I, I you know, is, is it going to be a hard landing or a soft landing or, or whatever? But I don't know. I guess my position on it is that uh, it sounds like a cool idea. I think it was Werner Benge or something who initially introduced the idea. If I even have the name right, but um, I. I think that uh, it's probably not super likely in the near term, <laughs> near term meaning like in the next 50 or 100 years. So it, one of the things that the, the, the neuroscientists are saying is how difficult it is to understand stuff because the way that stuff works, like, for example, you know, even though they've decoded the genome sequence, they found out that different amino acids in different combinations 
kind of also have a huge impact on the way that humans work, right? And it, it, it almost sounds like as if, if it was a piece of code, it's almost like the code has functions, but like an infinite number of global variables. You know how right. global variables make programming so difficult. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's like that. So they somehow have to kind of undiscover all of these, no, discover all of these global variables to try and understand how everything hangs together. And it seems like an, an impossible task. So are you relieved? Or are you disappointed? I, I, I love the fact that the human mind is very, very complex and difficult to understand and that we're nowhere near understanding it. Then it's just not some simple Turing machine. Yeah, <laughs> that, would be, that would be depressing as hell. Right, you were just an algorithm. Well, what do you think? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I will actually ask me a more specific question. I don't really know how to answer well, that. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, what do you think about the fact that the brain is very hard to to un, uncode? To decode? Uh, yeah. I think that's probably good. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, I I in one sense I find it's it it sort of leaves the mystery there. Um, it's not like it's a solved problem. Like the, if the yeah. brain was just a solved problem, um, that would be sort of a disappointment. I think in a way, uh, because that's like one of the most interesting subjects is like who we are and what we are and what we can be. I I don't know. It's like. It's just, it's just if, it, if, if you could just boil it down and say, oh, well, it's just X, Y, and Z, and you know, we can totally replicate it, and it would seem kind of disappointing. Although that said, I'm not convinced that it won't be possible to replicate a brain at some point in the future. I mean, and I don't mean like 20 years from now. I mean, maybe it's 1,000 years from now or something uh, that we, we are able or technologically advanced enough to, to create a... A brain, a, an you, artificial brain, but I'm not you, sure. Just because, just because of the fact that, you know, there's, there's, there's X amount of matter in this space in your skull, you know, why couldn't you simulate that down to the atomic scale at some point with enough processing power? Yeah, but I think it's these global variables that are going to screw you over. That's what, that's what I mean. So you, you can look at the basic structure of it, but then all of a sudden there's these random peptides and amino acids coming in through the bloodstream that affect the entire system. Let's imagine that you had some incredibly powerful, um, uh, like a scanning microscope, like those electron imaging machines, like an MRI, but say a thousand times more powerful than an MRI. That could could essentially take a three-dimensional picture of your brain down to the subatomic level. And then you could encode that as data into a simulator. Um, I don't know. That would be, it seems at some point, and then, you know, you talk about these like 3D printers where they can print, where they take out, you, you, have you seen those around where they take yeah, like but, any sort of uh, a, a, like AutoCAD type of design and then it'll just sort of like out of sort of molten plastic or carving out of something, it'll make an absolute perfect replica of it. Well, imagine something like that. Um, Okay, or but what brain, mood what mood were you in when that when that snapshot was taken? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> probably in the same mood. I I, I don't know. I'm just because, I'm, because look, my, my my point is is right is depending on your mood is the different level of I don't know serotonin and other stuff that's in your entire system, right? So you've got all these external variables that affect the way your brain works. So you could take a snapshot of your brain at one time, 
But that is only showing that one moment's worth of your brain, whereas your brain has this other infinite amount of states that okay. are all well, altered if, by... What if you took like a, rather take a video, like a three-dimensional subatomic um, <laughs> level <laughs> thing, and you took a movie of it for, you know, 12 hours? Great. Then you've got a movie of your brain. <laughs> what difference does that make? Well, anyway, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Crunch Fund. Um, so there's there's some rumors going around that Michael Arrington is going to start a angel fund. Right. So is he going to leave AOL? Uh, I don't know, but I just think that that, that would like be... Like Huffington? That would be hilarious because... Like it's not like TechCrunch isn't already the cliquiest group of people promoting their uh, their buddies. Now they're actually gonna just promote the people that they invest in. So it's gonna be like, oh god, we want more well, of that, don't we? I think that um, I would imagine. Well, I have, I didn't read the story, but I would think that he would have to get out of the publishing industry if he was going to start investing. I would think that that would be a major conflict of interest. But. I don't know. I mean, if he's already sold, he's already sold TechCrunch to AOL. He's now he has a boss. Not only does he have a boss, he's working for Ariana Huffington, who is who is known to have a pretty sh- strong opinion about things. Probably sh- chafing under her, um, working underneath her. So he's probably you know eyeing an exit. Probably be out of there in I don't know six months, six to twelve months. At which point, um, then he could start a fund. So TechCrunch is no longer owned or run by him. He sold it. So he's on to the next next phase. Will people look at TechCrunch if Arrington isn't in there? Sure. I don't think I don't think I think TechCrunch is significantly moved on. Uh, significantly moved past just being Michael Arrington. I mean, I don't know. He what, what percentage of posts do you think he writes? Like five percent? I don't know. Most? I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I, I've I've written a number of articles and I only see his name on uh, as the writer on on occasion. So I don't know. But you know there's a um there's a uh, blog uh, done by um and a blog, a video podcast uh, called Founder Stories mm-hmm. by Chris Dixon. No, I haven't Have seen, seen it. it? Yeah. No. So he, he just interviews founders, and I, I, I think he's done, I don't know, like Foursquare might have been one of them. Um, he did a bunch of them. But as it turns out, like almost all the people he's interviewed are, are companies that he's invested in. <laughs> it's like full disclosure, I invested in these guys. So it's like he's just looking at his list of all the people he knows who he happened to invest in. And, and sure, you know, he probably finds them personally interesting. That's why he invested in them and he knows them. So it's easy to set up an interview, but he's also just kind of promoting them, right? So he brings Oh, up, like, that's a good strategy. He's promoting himself and them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, it's sort of funny in that way. I think he probably, had, I, I've watched all of them at this point, And I think he's, if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably he's probably an investor in at least seventy or eighty percent of the uh, companies he's interviewed, wow. which I, I just sort of find kind of funny. So apparently, there's no problem with it. I guess you can you can have a conflict as long as you tell people, hey, there's a conflict. Well, who's gonna? I mean, who's gonna take you to task about it anyway? I mean, the government is Obama gonna swoop in and take you to t- to court? You know? No, no, nobody cares. I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, I guess there's a little difference. Founder stories is a little different because he's just interviewing. He's not. Um, critiquing or discussing the topic in an in an objective manner. He's simply asking questions. You know, why did you get started? What was your initial idea? How did it evolve? How did you get traction? What are you doing about funding? Who are your competitors? What's your growth strategy? You know, th- that kind of stuff, right? So you, whether you're an investor or not an investor, you can still ask those questions equally well. In fact, you might be able to ask them, be- ask them better because you've already 
you already know them very well. You really understand, you know where the interesting stories are. Whereas if you're trying to cover um, a space or companies and talk about their competitors and talk about the, what's probably going to work or not work or, uh, you know, or even have to even have to deliver some bad news about them. Like, Oh, they've, this part of the product sucks. Cause they're kind of doing reviews. I mean, TechCrunch kind of reviews. Companies, yeah, they right? do. It's hard to do that objectively if you own five or 10% of of the company in question. Right. Mm. So yeah, totally. maybe that's, that's probably different. I guess. All right. Have you got any topics? I think I've been driving the show so far. I like it. I like you. I think you drive. You drive the show better than you drive a car. I tell you that much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I had Colby had his first hacking incident this morning. Oh, what does that mean? Is, is that coughing or computers? No, he uh, he downloaded a, a game on uh, his mom's uh, smartphone, her Android phone, without yeah. asking. Because she distinctly told him to stop doing that because he he had he would just download games he had had like 10 games and um do you have to pay for each game downloaded i think he, these are all free i think she made yeah. about one or two that were like a yeah. couple dollars for the for the girls that are more like educational and colby colby started it all started with angry birds <laughs> and it's like all these was different that from me when i showed him angry birds no you showed the girls right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry yeah so um Anyway, so this morning, right, I was just getting ready for the podcast. I walked through and I see Colby having a timeout next to the door, kind of looking sort of sullen and, you know, and I'm like, what happened? She's like, yeah, he downloaded a game. I told him not to. I'm like, ah, first hacking incident. He's breaking into the system, <laughs> doing things he's not supposed to. <laughs> like, kinda, it's going to be I, NSA next. I, I kind of was laughing. I was like, thinking that's sort of funny. But uh, yeah, he, he can use her Android phone as well as she can. I mean, he's you know, recording videos of his sisters and I don't know, downloading games or whatever. It's pretty amazing. In fact, he knows how to use the Roku better than I do. I think hmm. he, he, he's, he's a master. Funny. One of the problems is though, is he keeps um, watching all these shows um, like these animation. Do you know what Japanese anime is? Have you ever anime. Seen? Yeah. Yeah. So he's really getting into anime and I have to admit some of the anime is pretty cool. I mean, some of it's kind of dopey, but some of it is kind of good. And, but a lot of it is sort of adult. Yeah. It, it, it's a little bit of the way they draw the female characters and you it's know, kind of addictive and sometimes people can get into that and then want to draw it and then spend their whole lives kind of drawing anime <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a real risk <laughs> it does. like just right after heroin is the second one you may find yourself drawing <laughs> anime characters at work while eating dinner, you know, on the, while driving. Like I wouldn't text, be surprised if Colby got addicted to anime. Oh I'm serious. Oh my God. Uh, no, I've heard it with like video games, like World of Warcraft. People get pulled into World of Warcraft and things like that. And, but anime? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, so he, he, uh, he's, so I see all these shoes, like, and I bring, I open up Warcraft and it's recently watched, and I'll see like these 20 different anime shows. Uh, series. I'm like, what the hell is this stuff? I'm like, hey, that looks kind of cool. <laughs> but a couple times, Sandy walked in to watch him. She's like, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> she, oh, my God. He turns it off, and Colby's like, hey, what? <laughs> and I was like, well, you're going to have to keep an eye on that, because she started, she tried to put the um, parental controls on it, yeah. but the problem is it's not like there's a parental controls where you can just, in the Roku, just enter a password. So I'm like, I, it has to be set to the computer, so I, it's like, she goes to sleep, it's 11 o'clock at night, I turn, I want to watch a movie, and I'm like, hey, I can't watch anything. It's not G-rated. <laughs> <Like this. laughs> 
like, you know, family feel good movie, you know, Mac and me. I'm like, come on. So she had to take the parental controls off because otherwise I was getting That's hilarious pissed. because Jason couldn't get through them. I couldn't get through all of them. So there was no controls. I sure was. I mean, it's like how could you, Come on. How could you not get through the parental controls? Explain what the scenario. There's no way to, there's no password. There's no way to get through it. Via well, well how do you do it? You have to go sit down at a computer, log in to your account and change everything. It's 11 o'clock at night. We're in bed. Sandy's already asleep. Lights are off. I just want to like watch a movie, you know, until I fall asleep. And crash. she basically, and, and she's the only one who knows how to open up the computer and log well, in. I probably and change could, the but I'm not going to go spend, I'm not going to get up out of bed and spend 10 minutes horsing around on the, you know, Netflix or a, a Roku account trying to figure out how to undo the parental controls. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I'm way too lazy for that. <laughs> so Fair enough. Keep an eye on, on our little hacker. He's probably going to, you know. So <laughs> I thought that was sort of funny. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, <laughs> I got a new, uh, a new, uh, a new segment for uh, the show. It's okay. called This Week in Holy Shit. <laughs> what? This Week in Holy Shit. Okay. That's our, so, uh, you know, like the, uh, there's the whole This weekend. This Week in Tech, yep. Weekend. Well, actually, I guess this week in te- uh, tech is uh, Leo Laporte's show, but the Twit Network. But um, Calacanis says his whole this weekend thing, right? Remember we interviewed him, and there's a big. So, what's out. this weekend? Holy shit! About so, I had this. There was this article. It was really short blurb. It was like three paragraphs, and it was in Yahoo News, and, and it's entitled "CIA Spy Davis Was Giving Nuclear Bomb Material to Al Qaeda," says report. And do you, do you remember that? Article or the news item pop up about a month ago about Raymond Davis, who was over in Pakistan, who killed two um, Pakistani men. Vaguely. And, yeah, so the U.S., we, not you maybe, but we claimed he was a diplomat, right? Mm. And he's out wandering, he's out in the streets of Pakistan, and he murders two guys in cold blood. Okay. The Pakistan claims that there were two ISI. ISI agents. ISI is the equivalent of the CIA for Pakistan. Okay. That they were trailing um, Davis because they uh, had been tracking his phone and he had been in Waziristan, which is where the tribal areas where all that sort of were, were you know, Al-Qaeda supposedly is, and we're, we're doing all these drone attacks. We do like 20 drone attacks a day in Waziristan now. And um, we meaning the U.S. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, they had been tracking him because they had also, I guess, determined that he had been in contact with an Al-Qaeda, with someone from Al-Qaeda. And so these two ISI guys, well, at some point when he, uh, when Raymond Davis encounters these guys, he, he notices they're following him and he just kills them in the street. Two of them. And, wow. uh, and then I guess some, someone else got killed and, you know, the, there was a, like, I guess the police came or there's a big rush and then someone else got killed because of it. So actually three or four people died as a result. I think the wife of one of these ISI agents committed suicide when she heard that he had been killed. And so it was, it's a lot of, and so it's really bad. Right. And, um, so he gets taken into custody and then there's this big diplomatic bargaining because we're trying to get this guy back because, you know, they're claiming this guy is CIA or covert. He's, 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 he is, doing some kind of covert operation in Pakistan and he killed two people and he, and that they're saying based on the evidence that they got from him that he, they thought he was, um, they said that he was uh, a member of USTF three, three, seven, three, which is the American task force, which is some, um, I guess, feared, uh, black ops, um, group. It's kind of like, uh, um, 
what's the movie uh, Born Identity? <laughs> this is like a Born Identity incident, right? TF right. 373, Black Ops guy, just totally unleashes and kills these two agents, you know, in the middle of the city. They take him in, and then we're, we're claiming his diplomat. So we're trying to, and, and then and based on his papers and everything, they're saying this guy's totally uh, some undercover asset or, or agent. And our diplomats are trying to bargain. So, oh, he's just a diplomat. He's diplomatic immunity. He just works with our diplomatic service. And Pakistan's yeah. like, right. <laughs> so we end up getting him back, but we end up paying like a few million dollars mm-hmm. to the families and the government. So we end up just sort of, you know, buying our way out of it. Well, this report comes in from the... Uh, is it, and I'll just read the last part. So this is the, 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 the Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service is called the SVR. Mm. And this is a report from them, right? So this is, you can take this for what it's worth, but this is, this is, this is in Yahoo News. I think it's an, it might be an AP story. And they're, they're basically just quoting a report published by the, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. It says, and I'll just read this last part. It says, um, oh, and by the way, Raymond Davis claimed that these were robbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's why he killed them. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, again, that that's just BS. So, but this last part was the 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 holy shit part. It goes the most ominous point in this SVR report is Pakistan's ISI stating that top secret CIA documents found in Davis's possession point to his and or TF three seven three providing to Al Qaeda terrorists nuclear, fissile material and biological agents, which they claim are to be used against the United United States itself in order to ignite an all out war in order to reestablish the West hegemony over a global economy that is warned is just months away from collapse, the paper added. Oh my like, God. That's so <laughs> utterly con- Machiavellian conspiracy. <laughs> Our West, the, uh, the, the global economy is just months away from collapse. I'm like, seeing as how, you know, what's going on in Europe and our, and our debt ceiling problem, the fact that we have this incredible debt, I'm like, wow. So Russia's calling for, they're basically saying we're going down. But I thought we'd already gone down. What do you mean? I thought that the economy had already collapsed. <laughs> I mean, collapse, collapse. Like uh, what? Like what? Uh, like like a, a, a recession that loses you know three percent GDP is not a collapse. That's a blip. Okay, I mean, so basically the the kind of thing where the money becomes completely devalued and we have to start from scratch. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I guess one man's collapse is another man's reception recession. <laughs> I don't know wow. what what would what would constitute a full collapse and that's just semantics i guess but um it was interesting i saw this hilarious video i'll put it up on uh, a link to it it was uh, it was sort of a, a a spoof on um you see these financial shows where you have a an interviewer and he'll interview some financial some economist or something and he'll ask him about like what do you think's going on in the eurozone or what's with u.s debt and this and that and he's basically asked the guy over and over he's like so what's gonna happen with greece and he's like i don't have any money they're gonna have to borrow from italy what about italy where, where does italy get them out? they don't have any money they're gonna have to get it from so-and-so where they get the money he's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like right <laughs> it's like nobody has any money and so I don't know. It's it's pretty bad. I mean, I I think we're I think the um the 2008 uh financial um I don't know what you want to call it. Stimulus. No stimulus. The the, the fall the the crash of 2008. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I I think that's just a symptom of uh, uh that was just sort of a, a, a not a symptom, but I guess that was just the first stage of what happens when you have an incredible amount of outstanding debt that's just completely intertwined with all these countries and nobody understands it. So do you think the shit's really going to hit the fan? I don't 
don't even know what that means. Like, what does that even mean? You know, I mean, does do I think that the dollar could become worth less? Yes. Do I think interest rates could rise considerably? Do I think unemployment could continue to rise? Yes. Do I think our housing prices continue could go down even further? Yeah. I mean, all those things are possible. Um, the problem is, is that um, there's just there's a lot of structural problems. I mean, structure meaning like these really difficult. Uh, issues that are not easily solved, economic issues that have to do with demographics and our aging population and the fact that we, a lot of these countries, in the U.S. being one of them, have, have just in, in incurred so much debt and just basically living beyond our means. Um, and we're just putting it on future generations, which just becomes when, when you saddle future generations with this massive debt, then essentially it's like putting this huge tax on them. It's confusing right? how we have... Like, at the same time as this, all this kind of going downward, down, down, we have this tech bubble where, you know, Groupon is, like, IPO'd for $50 billion. It's confusing. Yeah, like, how can, um, how can there be sort of these micro-bubbles? Yeah. And I think it's, that's kind of a micro-bubble. I think, I think also it's like the, the world is uneven and, and the country is uneven, and it's just that you have areas of the country or you have certain sectors that can do well. I read this interesting article. It was talking about uh, the destruction of the middle class. I think this was this was a, I mean, this was like Forbes or something or Economist, and they were talking about how um, the, all the money that was wiped out from the middle class in the housing bubble crash, mm -hmm. and that a, a large percentage of people's wealth, when you talk about the middle class and 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 and, and lower middle class and even upper middle class, a lot of their wealth was tied up in their house. And the equity in their house took out equity loans, and they they sort of doubled down. And because of the leverage, uh, the leverage that's inherent in in uh, mortgage loans, that people had a lot of their net worth essentially wiped out. Whereas a lot of the super wealthy, when you start talking, well, not super wealthy, but wealthy and on up, like the top two percent, that their wealth is oftentimes much more. Um, diversified into things into, into the stock market and other types of things, which a lot of that has come back. So you've had a sort of increasing divide. You sort of have this, the, the, the middle class has had a lot of their net worth wiped out. And so therefore a lot of the discretionary income has been wiped out, which means that it's hard for the, com the country to grow that quickly because if you have the bulk of people in the country can't really go out and spend on anything beyond necessities. People aren't taking, they aren't buying as many, things they aren't taking as many vacations or going out to eat or buying as many services or whatever it's just that they're they're, they're just trying to pay down debt um or or just get or get by and um yeah you have you have isolated areas like uh you know wall street and and uh, new in new york and you have silicon valley and san francisco and you have places where there's there's just a large concentration of wealth and a lot of economic activity but i think we're sort of exceptions when you talk about like where we live as opposed to places in sort of middle America. Hmm. Yeah, it's know. crazy. It's kind of depressing. <laughs> it is kind of depressing. This is supposed to be a happy show. <laughs> is it? Are we the happy show? It's called Tech Zing. It's not Tech Downer. <laughs> tech Downer. <laughs> tech Downer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that uh, that's why I, I, I find economics and foreign policy stuff interesting but i can only read so much of it because then it gets me down it gets me really frustrated i get particularly frustrated with foreign policy and i just get 
I, I find the economic stuff sort of an ongoing puzzle, but also frustrates me. But since there's, there's really not a whole lot I can do about it, it's sort of a waste of time. I mean, it's sort of like playing Sudoku or something. It's like you can put all this mental energy in playing Sudoku or World of Warcraft, but it's just a pastime, right? You're not really changing the world. You're not solving. So me, whether I understand um, macroeconomics or not really has no direct impact on my life or the life of my friends and family. Now, don't say right. anything that you won't cut out. Because I know you often get me to cut out political stuff that you say. No, I'm not going to say anything. So I, I just mean that um, uh, I just so I can only spend so much time on it. I mean, I, I, I get sucked back into it. I, I, I think someone, I'm reading an article on this, and, and uh, someone said, well, news and reading about news and stuff is kind of like junk food. You can do it in doses, but you just can't live on it. Like you can't consume too much news because it just is just it's not good for you it's just kind of a waste so you i try and i spend the vast majority of my time um just working on stuff just you know building stuff either whether it's building clients doing client work and and paying you know therefore paying the bills trying to get financially stabilized or whatever but uh or it's it's trying to build work on app ignite any which is try and uh you know, build something that has sustainable value, but that has some leverage. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's like it's like I have it's a constant balancing act. <laughs> but you don't really read that kind of stuff, so you're not really much of a news guy. Um, I, I, it's funny. Like once a month, I'll I'll click onto Google News and see what's going on, <laughs> just in right. case. You know, I'll just have a quick check in. Um, but I don't, I know I don't like to consume it every day because it is depressing. Like most of the news is sensationalist. Most of the news is kind of pointing out how the shit's hitting the fans somewhere and it just kind of depresses you. So, you know, I've, I've got my, I've got my own world to focus on, you know, Plugio and texting and all the tech stuff that we do. And that makes me happy. And it's sort of like Derek Sivers when he talks about just do what makes you go, fuck yeah, you know, and that's kind of my, my thought about it. I kind of I kind of go back and forth on this whole issue of like, you know, there was a, the idea of whether you should vote or not. I mean, in 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 Freakonomics, uh, Steve Levitt and I can't remember the guy's name. Steve Levitt, Levitt maybe I think you pronounce his name. He's an economist from the University of Chicago, and he's the the guy who wrote Freakonomics along with the New York Times uh, writer. I would and, definitely vote, by the way. Okay, well, he, he from from a game theoretical standpoint, it doesn't make any sense to spend time voting because it's, you you really have no impact on the world, right? So in, 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 in a sense, you'd say, well, don't even pay attention to politics. Don't pay attention to anything. Just spend all, spend all your time working on things that can directly impact your life and life of the people who you care about, right? Mm-hmm. The rest is just a distraction from that. Um, now, but at the same time, if you think of it from an ethical standpoint, it's almost like, well, if everybody did that, then we're screwed. Right. If ever, if no, if nobody pays attention, nobody tries to understand what's really going on. Everybody just takes what little news bites, you know, they sound bites they they hear or see on TV, and 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 then they and they just kind of either don't vote or or just completely disengage. Then we're kind of screwed because it's it's it, then then we're just completely manipulated or just ignored. Right. So, from an ethical standpoint, like just like. You know, you could say, well, I can litter. Like, I can just throw garbage out the window when I'm driving. It doesn't matter. Its impact on the world is, is insignificant, right? Well, if everybody did that, we'd live in a garbage dump. So from an ethical standpoint, that's not a good thing to do. I think that um, in a sense that even though 
it probably doesn't make any any difference whether I understand what's going on in the world and whether, you know, I had a dozen or so of my friends, I might occasionally have conversations like this and and uh maybe that doesn't have any direct impact. But it's sort of I think it's from an ethical standpoint. I think it was Jefferson or, or Adams who said that, you know, a man who doesn't is disengaged from his political affairs isn't you know, is isn't worth a, you know, something I can't remember. But just basically saying that, you know, isn't you worth have, a shit. Yeah, well, to be well, if if you're going to be part of a democracy, you we have to govern ourselves, right? We don't have a sovereign, right? We don't have a dictator. It's up to us, you know. Supposedly, right? We're supposed to be making our own decisions. Therefore, we got to stay informed. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm well, I'm informed through you. <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble, buddy. I think you. I think you need to find another source for your information. So. Um, <laughs> That's no, true. No, we got anything else? You got any? Uh, oh, you know, one thing I wanted I, to bring up okay. was this one service, Quirly. Yeah. Because we, we were talking about one thing that would be really interesting is so if you get a uh, an email list together for your new app service you're going to build or start, and you figure like, well, who should I invite in first, or who should I really try and uh, get in contact with and and sort of get and engage with? Because if you have a thousand signups, let's say, or five thousand signups. You can't spend the same amount of time with all of them. Okay, we're talking about anyone out there who is starting a new app and who has that initial landing page where they're just capturing people's email addresses. They've got some buzz about that page. They've got a couple of thousand email addresses. And who should they contact to then start becoming their first test users, right? Right, and then follow up with yeah. and, and communicate with. And How do you determine? Really, really get those people on board. Well, there's this cool cool service called Clout. Let's start with a K, which allows you to. I think you can only you can you can see other people's clout and also uh, the clout of the people who you follow or follow you or something. And yeah. you can. I, I thought you were talking about Quirly. No, I am. I'm going to get to that. So, but Quirly is like Clout, but they have a really cool API that I think you could um, you can look up people's clout um, by their email address. So that using their email address, they uncover everybody's Twitter. Handles and I don't know Google Plus or Facebook or whatever, and basically determines how much influence they have uh, in general. Mm-hmm. And so, you if you rank all the people on your list, like this guy has a cloud of eighty five, which means they are they make a big amount of difference. So if you get that person to be a uh, a big fan of your service and who, someone who's going to tweet about it and talk about it and promote it, you're in good shape. But if there's a bunch of people who have like tens and twenties, meaning that they don't really have any influence at all, you probably it probably wouldn't smart, be smart to to spend a whole lot of time early on is engaging with them because they might influence one person if anybody. Whereas the other person could influence hundreds of people, thousands of people. They could get they could get you hundreds of people. Go through yeah, your so list you of two thousand and rank them by by the clout. Yeah, use the Quirly API. Just you know, do a loop through it and look up everybody's cloud score, store it in the database table, and then and you know, sort it and you got it. And then, then I think it would, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing you make, you take in consideration is, or is their cloud score because some people, um, have, have a lot of influence, but they, and are, might, might be influenced in specific ways. Um, maybe they, they have an influence for potential investors or strategic partners, or maybe they just don't tweet, but they have influence in other ways. They have a lot of people read their blog and maybe, maybe yeah. that's another way or something. So well, anyway, for example, if it's someone like Scobalizer, right, they're going to have a you know humongous clout, but they and they may have just signed up to your list, but it's pretty unlikely they're going to become a very engaged user because they're just too busy elsewhere. So I, I think you need to kind of 
not take people with too high a clout score and not take people with too low a clout score. So it's sort of like, I guess, 70s and down kind of thing, you know? I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, I think you'd have to look at each person individually. I mean, there's not going to be that many people with that high a clout score, right? Just just by the nature of it, there's only going to be a small number of them. So you could go through the top the top people and determine, and you could, even if, even if, you know, half of them were not going to engage, if you got half people, the highest cloud score, cloud scores, uh, to sign up and you were fo- and you followed up carefully and personalized emails and really communicated with them, then, uh, that, that might be a, I, I guess that, I mean, I guess even if Scopalizer did sign up, I guess he would have done because he was interested in your service. So, right. I- you can make yeah. that assumption. I, I yeah. just think it's 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 not the only measure, the only metric, but it's 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 uh, the cloud score, things like it are can be valuable. But I mean, you have a high cloud score. What's your like seventy eight or something? I'm seventy one. Now, Scobalizer did sign up for Plugio, by the way. Did he really? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and um, he never really used it. That that's the reason why I use him as an example, because I know right. that he was he's on my list, and he signed up for the beta, but never never went in and did anything with it. What about now? So do you, do you know the cloud scores of anybody else? I'd be curious if we have any, like, what does a 71 mean? I think Calacanis, I saw him interviewing the guy at Cloud and has like a guy at Cloud at like a 78 or something. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean that uh, Calacanis had like a 78. Who? Oh, Calacanis. Oh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I do have a very high cloud score. I'm not quite sure why it's so high, but uh, I'm glad it is. Well, it's because you have 8,000 followers on Twitter or something. I th- I'm not sure that it's that. I think it's also because, uh, you know what it is? It's because I've, I've very tightly tied who I've followed versus what I tweet. So, so what I tweet is 100% about tech, and who I follow is 100% about tech. So, therefore, when I tweet something, it gets severely retweeted. Oh, because, really? so, okay. So, the people, it's not just tech, but the specific technologies that you tweet about. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, all the stuff that I tweet about is 100% interesting. To the people who are following me, not a hundred percent, but a high percent. Uh, so you're and like so, you have very carefully selected your audience, and I'm very, very highly retweeted for many posts that I tweet. So therefore, um, I think that's what kind of gives you your clout score is like how much you know how much attention do people pay to what you tweet? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. It's not just number yeah. of followers, yet, but it's like how much, how many, how often do people retweet your stuff? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I have like a a clout rating of fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised like, you have a clout rating at all. I think your cut rating is like, I think your lowest you can possibly get is like probably a 20. <laughs> it's like I have like a negative cloud score because I've, twe- I've tweeted like once in the last year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You're, the, you're, the, you're the guy with cloud. So well, what does Calacanis have? Jason MC, cloud influence. He has, what? That can't be right. What? 42. Calacanis? Yeah, that can't be right. That can't be right. That would be shocking. No, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah more influence. Forty-two. Which, which is actually, it, it kind of goes to show that there's something not so great with their algorithms because Calacanis has far more impact on the internet and, and the internet marketing scene than I do. So there you go. Wow. Well. Anyway, I think it's a Corley, which is Q U E R L Y dot com. Oh, yeah. you know. By the way, I think there's someone we need to. Um, a mention to toby osborne oh yeah go on and we didn't mention his domain okay go you remember no i don't know you were he you you got the email 
What? How, how would you? That's that. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, you how would you know about up. it if you didn't get the email? You mentioned you. You said you were going to follow up. I saw it was like you communicate with them, and I just sort of saw the email. You can you look in the donation on Indiegogo. Wow, you've totally caught me off guard here. Okay, well, you're doing that. And I'll talk about uh, something else, which I, okay. I, I it's an interesting article called the uh, in and I guess it was in uh, CNN. It was called the illusion of job stability. Yeah. And the guy's writing about, uh, I think this is the article, where he said that you think about you go to a job and you go work for a big company, you think it's stable, and you think like working for startups is risky. But the reality is um, that when you work for startups, you're, you tend to be working on cutting-edge stuff. You're using, so when you're working for startups, you're, 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 you tend to be working on much more cutting-edge technology than if you're working for much more established country, companies. Yeah. So even if that startup goes down, you're going to hop on with another startup, right? And you you know you eventually land somewhere. I mean, you, you're still getting paid. It's not like you're getting paid if you're working for a startup. And I don't mean, you know, they're they're not talking about the difference between starting your own company, working for a bigger company, but working for a startup versus working for say IBM. Mm-hmm. But if you're working for some startup, you're going to be using uh, cool technologies and other startups are going to want to hire you if you know those cool technologies and work for some other startup in a startup environment. So in a sense, job stability is kind of an illusion because you can be out, you know, you can be cut, you laid off at any point. They don't have, it's not like deployment for a lifetime like it was a generation ago. But, uh, so really the, the only, the best job stability you can have is, is constantly developing and evolving your skills uh, with the latest and greatest technology so that you aren't still using Perl to write your, build your websites. Yeah, right? that sounds like a good strategy. Yeah. So did you find out? I did, yeah. Okay. Um, so now I'm hugely embarrassed. Um, Toby Osborne, who donated $50. Wow. And it is an executive producer, so um, I, I don't think it's fair to, to do it with this show. So I think the next show, we'll, we'll mention him up the front of the show, so he'll get a double show shout-out. But anyway, so Great. Toby, here's your first shout out. $50, thank you so much. But you're going to be executive producer of the next show and we're going to mention that right up front. And um, I'm going to copy and paste that into my texting podcast text file so it will be the number one thing that I'll see the next time we do a show. Yeah, nice job, Justin. Yeah. Nice job. Well, why, why is it my job, not your job? I don't know, because it is your job. I just I feel it's better to be your job. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Okay. So I, w- one other thing I want to bring up, I saw an article on uh, TechCrunch that Y Combinator alum MemSQL raises $2.1 million. Yeah. And MemSQL, uh, there was like a couple million, I don't know, from uh, I think they like uh, Paul Buhite and some other big shots. Um, so I think what they do is it's, it says it's 30 times faster than relational databases on disk. So it all runs in, in RAM. And it, I guess it, uh, it, it sort of speaks pure MySQL. So you communicate with the standard MySQL API. It's like a drop-in replacement, but it's like 30 times faster. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of interesting because there's been a lot of push lately to NoSQL because it's like, well, relational databases don't scale and this and that. But um, I guess it depends on how much RAM you have. But, you know, these RAM is getting so inexpensive for these servers that you can have, you know, I don't know, 32 gigs or... 64 gigs of RAM and fits all in on your database server. If your database server has that kind of RAM and is, and has something like MemSQL running um, and it's 30 times faster, I mean, that would be pretty impressive. There was another service, I can't remember the name of it, but basically you could type in, you could use SQL, but th- it was basically an in- 
entire cloud-based system that wasn't MySQL. It was just this cloud service um, you know backend. No, I, I'll find it out for the next show. I'll find okay. it out for the next show. But that was that was another interesting option. Oh, by the way, um, I've seen here that Jason Calacanis has a clout of 80, but I was looking at the wrong address. He's clout.com forward slash Jason. Yeah, so he's just beating you by nine points. Just so nine points. That's all. It's impressive, man. That's impressive. Yeah, not too bad. Oh, speaking of speeding up uh, uh, memory, um, IBM, I, this is like a couple weeks ago, is, is an article on Engadget. It says IBM develops instantaneous memory 100 times faster than Flash. Huh. So... You combine that with running your entire SQL database in RAM, and it's 100 times faster. It's wow. like instantaneous lookup. Like it's all of a sudden your uh, your I/O, your 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 database lookups and stuff is not the bottleneck anymore. That would be amazing. That would be pretty impressive if you got all this. And I think if I remember this article correctly, I think they were talking about how um, you know it's sort of like five years was sort of like the, they thought this stuff would be in the sort of consumer market within five years. It was pretty, pretty close. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Hey, have you used uh, Google web fonts before? No. You haven't? It's like I've you used- can go there, like you can link to them and they can, and it's basically pulling any web font into your, any font into your. I hadn't even heard of that. That sounds cool. Do it, yeah. I, I don't know much work? about it. What's that? How does it work? I don't know. You can look up, like, it's like if you go to Google, let's see, Google web fonts. You just type Google Web, just search for Google Web Fonts. Okay, so I'm looking at this Google Web Fonts, and this, I don't know how this slipped past me. This is incredible. Like, have you, have you looked at it and really browsed through it? I've looked at it, like, every font known to man, it seems like. It's just, it's just unbelievable. But not only that, every font known to man, and then with one line of code, you've, you can put it in your head, and then that font's on your website. But even better, you have this wizard that you can go into that has dials that you can basically change the spacing between the letters, the line height, and you can kind of, it's like a WYSIWYG as you slide the dial up and down, it changes the way the whole font works. And then you click a button, so that's your kind of customized version of the font. You just paste it in your site. It's, it's, it's just astounding. Yeah, I was amazed. I, I'm just curious, how does this get past, like, the licensing of the fonts? I can't believe, I don't understand. It doesn't make the sense. Like, nobody has to pay for fonts anymore? You can get any font you want on your website? I guess it's, no, it's, it's because it's open source fonts. Oh, only open source fonts sit there. Yeah, yeah. These fonts seem pretty high quality. Like a lot of those open source fonts seem pretty junky. You know, you compare it to like the, the fonts you can buy, but these seem pretty good. Yeah, that yeah, seems amazing. Well, anyway, so um, good find, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no problem. I actually meant to bring this up last um, last show, but I just forgot, or we ran out of time, or something. So, um, but I think we, we should wrap it up. I gotta, I gotta get, uh, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get these kids out of here before my wife kills them. They're starting to get pretty crazy. Hey, one thing, um, because of, I put the music at the end of last show, uh, a couple of people mentioned that they liked the song. Um, I made it downloadable from the about page, uh, textinglive.com forward slash about. Um, do you think that, what do you think of the idea of maybe a couple of other shows where I may, might include a couple of other songs? Sure. What do you think? You, uh, like just at you, the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you like, if you have some stuff that you want, uh, the but your best stuff, why not? Sure. Maybe do a little intro to, into it, like what the song was about. And yeah, why don't you yeah. do that? We can do our normal outro and then a little pause, and then you'll give a little. You'll say what the song was. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Maybe and what you what is about, and then uh, play it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's good. So, Not a good idea. 
so the other thing is, uh, of course, we would love a review. We'd love a donation. So uh, reviews are um, textinglive.com forward slash iTunes. And donation is textinglive.com forward slash donate. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we, we got to get the donations going again. We have gotten donations a while. We're probably in the hole a little bit on that field record we bought for MicroConf. Right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And that was uh, 300, 300 bucks. We need to get the reviews going. How many reviews do we have in iTunes now? Do you have any idea? No, not off the top of my head. I haven't looked. But not enough. Not <laughs> enough to get us real, to, to pay real attention to us, no. Right, right. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. This next song is a tongue-in-cheek song that I recorded when Alanis Morissette was big on the scene. It's actually a response to her song, You Ought to Know. I like this track because it's a live recording of me singing and playing the guitar and is documented proof that I used to be kind of good at one time. I don't like this track because I turned up the fake American accent dial just a little too much. But overall, I think I like it a little more than I don't like it. This is Texing Radio playing... I set you free. From the pregnant pause Do I take it that it's over, babe? From the knife you're holding I'm guessing that you're pretty angry So you want the truth, do ya? Well, yeah, she's sexier than you I'm a bastard, am I? I'm sorry, I presume that you knew Well now you can moan to your friends with reason Oh yeah You can change your life And you can find yourself another man much better than I And you'll be strong Cause everyone learns when the shit's done Damn right, I bet you bounce back twice as bright